Good morning. Good to see you all again. In the first message of this series, we looked at some of the important background information relating to the book of Jonah. And I know some of you are thinking, now this is a really short book. How come you're spending so much time actually going through the background and, and talking about stuff that sort of doesn't appear relevant to the story itself? And so I just want to remind you, if you've ever seen uh, the council in your area putting down paving to replace a lot of the old asphalt uh, sidewalks, uh, you'll notice that it seems to take weeks. They spend a lot of time digging out the dirt. They, then they put a, a layer of uh, dolomite down and they get everything just right. But when it comes to laying the bricks, it's over in, in days. They're really quick at it. But the thing is that if they hadn't prepared the ground beforehand, the, the, the bricks themselves, the, the laying of that, those bricks, the footpath that you actually see that looks marvellous, would actually look rubbish. And so I want us to actually understand that when we're reading scripture, when we're getting something out of a book like the book of Jonah, that sometimes we need to gather in some of the information that doesn't directly relate to the book to make sure that we've got the right context so that we're understanding what the original author wanted to tell us to give us an understanding of the scripture that enables it to impact our life, that enables it to actually have a difference that once we've read this book, we are not the same people, that we have got something out of this which has changed our perception of God, which has changed our, our belief in what he wants to do for our lives. And so it's important to actually take some time to recognise that the book of Jonah is, is unique. And so we're into discovering how that can impact us. And so last week we discovered that Jonah is indeed included in the book of the prophets. And that's unique because it's about the prophet, it's not about his prophecies. We saw that Jonah is a representative figure. Uh, he represents us, the covenant people of God. It's written in the form of a narrative parable. And it appears to have been written as satire, which may be something that you've not come across in the Bible before or not even recognised that biblical authors might actually do. The other thing which may even be a greater shock is that in the original Hebrew, which of course we don't have access to because I'm not a Hebrew scholar, it's actually written in the style of a comic book. Uh, and I'll explain more about that later. Uh, but its purpose still, no matter how it's written, no matter the satire or the humour involved in it, its purpose is to reveal Jesus to us and what he's up to in this world. So with all that in mind, what's this scripture trying to reveal to us? So let's dive into it again. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So we know Jonah is a horrible person, but is he a coward? Now to answer that we need to know a little more about Nineveh. And so Nineveh was the capital city of the ancient Assyrians. And Assyria was the empire that came and wiped out 10 of the tribes of Israel, wiped them right off the map. They were the most brutal, oppressive and violent of the ancient empires. Their general practice was to plunder a city and skin alive all the leaders of the city in front of the people and then deport the survivors back to Assyria as slaves. They were, to make a, to make a point, a, a horrible people. And so in verse 2, we see God depicted as a great king surveying his realm and the oppression and the injustice of Nineveh catches his attention. And he decides this cannot continue. And so he sends a messenger. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, if he told me to do that, I'd run to Tarshish too. Because if I had to preach to somebody who's likely, likely to skin me alive if they don't know what I'm saying, then I'm not going there, especially if God said, we'll preach against them. I mean, come on, that's, that's a reasonable reaction. But that isn't the reason that Jonah runs away. If we look at chapter 4, and I know this is, this is a bit of a spoiler, but uh, you've all read the book, I'm sure. Uh, this is part of the brilliant storytelling. Because in the book of Jonah in chapter 3, and this is another sort of uh, plot line that I'm giving away, he preaches a five-word sermon. And the city, the king, and even the cows repent. But Jonah, to Jonah, the fact that the Ninevites should find forgiveness and mercy all seems very, very wrong. He's angry at the success of his own preaching. And in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So clearly, he needs to see an ancient therapist. Because after reading these verses here, he seems to be somewhat of a crazy person. But it tells you why he ran away. He was not afraid. And so why did he run? He knew that somehow Yahweh would find a way to bring his grace and his mercy to these people through their repentance. He just knew that this was going to have a happy ending and he does not want a happy ending for his enemies. And so this is where the satirical side of the story comes in, right from line one. So Jonah's name means dove. Amittai means faithfulness. So we have here dove, son of faithfulness. In the Bible, the doves are always the image of innocence, purity, and so on. And so what we're looking at here is the pure, innocent one, the son of faithfulness, going out and being God's messenger. And of course, that, that, that's really rich because he is the most, most faithless character in, in this entire story. And what's really going on here is that Jonah has a wonderful plan for his life. I'm sure most of us have a plan for our lives. He has a vision of how his prophetic career is going to work out that does not include this mission, especially as a prophet. Up in the northern kingdom, to be the prophet that brings forgiveness and life and repentance to the most hated enemies of your people is not going to go over well. It's not a way to win friends and be popular at parties. So it's going to make him suspect among his own people. And so, of course, he doesn't want this to work out. And this is what is really happening inside Jonah's heart. He knows perfectly well that Yahweh loves to show mercy. He knows somehow that the Ninevites are going to find mercy and that just does not fit into his vision of what his life is about. No thank you. And so he scarpers off to Tarshish. He actually goes as far in the opposite direction as you possibly can which is, of course, crazy. What does he think he's doing? He's a prophet of God, for goodness sake. Surely he's read Psalm 139. Can you actually flee from God? And it says, verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Of course you can't. There's something going on inside of his heart and his mind that scrambled his view of reality, and he runs for his life. And so the book of Jonah begins with a really profound exploration of the nature and the psychology of disobedience. I don't know what you think if I say the word obey or obedience, but I'm guessing that most of us don't have like sort of really flowery positive associations coming into our minds. Essentially, obedience isn't a positive idea in our culture. And that's because when we read things like the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city, 
In our minds, it's like, here we go. God's commanding people again. He really loves to do that in the Bible, doesn't he? And so that's how many of us view God, that he just loves to tell people what to do. And that's, that's our default mode for a lot of people. And uh, we do that for a lot of reasons, primarily because we project our views on authority uh, based on our parents back to God. It's not always our parents, mind you. So if you're a parent, it's not all your fault necessarily. But the biblical vision of God is very different. And think about this command God is commanding Jonah to do. He says, go to the city of Nineveh. And if you think about it, God could do what he likes. He could do what he did at Mount Sinai. He can move in a big dark cloud and lightning and yell down with a bullhorn. You know, the voice of God we see in the movies, a hello. And I'm sure that would have been very effective over Nineveh. They're doing horrible things. So God comes over and says, stop it or else. Um, something like that anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that would have been effective. But I don't know whether you've noticed, but God almost never does that kind of thing in the Bible. The primary vehicle that God chooses to work through is his covenant people. And so Jonah is being invited to step into a story that is much broader, more risky. It's way bigger than anything he has signed up for. And so at its root, what this comes down to is a rethink about what obedience means in the Bible. We and God have competing visions of what life is about, of what the good life is, of what actually constitutes true life as a human being. We operate according to that default vision in our lives and we behave in ways that make the most sense to us, given our circumstances. And then Jesus comes into the picture and he's like, follow me. And there's a whole bunch of things that you're doing that you think is life, but actually this isn't life at all. And that's what's happening right here. It's competing visions of life. And when God calls his people, the first thing that we are confronted with is, am I going to settle for the path of life that I'm on and what I call life? Or am I going to entertain this new invitation to the life that Jesus has for me? And so you have the sad irony right here at the beginning of the book of Jonah. It's the first expose of this brokenness. And for God's people, it's very easy to train ourselves through just being in a church community or something like that, that we're doing pretty good. and We're involved and we're doing the right thing. I mean, we're making progress here, but there's this clear, glaring area of our lives that we know we're being called to grow or we're being called to change. And somehow, in all of that, we just end up being extra religious people. We're able to compartmentalise that off, and we're saying, let's not go there, Jesus. I'll attend a service or a dinner party or a prayer meeting, and that should make you happy with me. And that's how we operate. And so here's this very religious man who, when it comes to it, has a core issue where his vision of his life is being challenged. And so he's scarpering off to Tarshish to try and escape it. And he thinks he's running for his life. The sad reality is he's running from his life. If you've ever seen a small child with their parents, particularly when it comes to crossing the road, there's that time when you train your children to stand at the edge and you say, hold my hand and we'll go over and we'll look to the left, we'll look to the right and we'll make sure there aren't any cars coming across. And often when they're quite small, they're very compliant. But the gets to this stage, especially when they're confident walking, that they actually start to run. And often you get this point where as soon as you call out to that child, come here, they will do exactly the opposite. They will run away from you. And when it comes to things like crossing the road, they think they're running for their life. But we know they're running from life. They're running from safety. They're running from our authority because they have decided that their vision of life is better. But their vision is limited. 
And so all too often we see that when children disobey in that way, when they run away thinking they're running for their life, they can actually end up being killed and lose their life because their vision of their life isn't as great as their parents. And this is all summed up at the cross because when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's calling us to see that he was the faithful covenant partner of God, the human being that none of us can be. And he lived for us in a way that we can never live. And he died to absorb the cumulative weight of the horrible, stupid decisions that we make when we run according to our vision of the good life. And in his mercy and in his love, he conquered it by rising from the dead so that he can offer us life, grace and forgiveness. We've got to let our vision of what our life is about die. In faith that what Jesus is asking us to do and inviting us into is a so much richer form of life that we could ever imagine. So what we're talking about here is what Jesus called abundant life, life that is so rooted in his love for me that I see that he only has goodwill for me. And that when he tells me to stop and turn around and come his way, he only has my best in his mind. So Jesus is inviting us to something different. As Christians, this is everyday living. And so for some of us, we might have patterns of behaviour that we need to stop, patterns of thinking, ways of acting, and we don't live the life we should and we know it. And we're scared to let go of that because that's what we know. Following Jesus is going to involve letting that die. And who knows what your life is going to look like on the other side of that choice. For some of us, that may not be stopping behaviours. It might be starting new behaviours that will invite us into life. So as we finish this morning, I would encourage us to be honest and self-aware enough to know the areas we're running from God. There's some areas of your life you may be doing good, but I guarantee for all of us, there's some part of our life where you're fleeing to Tarshish and Jesus is not welcome there. And if we want to experience life, we have to let him go there. We have to stop running. And this morning, some of us need to make a decision to do that. Because if, the, if there's anything about the character of God revealed in this story, it's one of extravagant mercy and grace. Have a great week.